Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 175, brought to you by the Five Pocket SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, on a scale from Henry Ruggs' 40 time to AJ Epeniza's three cone. Okay, try that. Try that name again. Epeniza? Epeneza? AJ Epeneza. Epeneza? Epeneza, yeah. I've never even not heard it. Epeneza? He's not... He's not a, He's not a disease. God, I'm, well, you know my thing is aggressively mispronouncing names. That's the first time I've heard it pronounced that way. So let's go Ebenezer. with this. Shut up. I'm never going to get it right. On a scale from Henry Ruggs' 40 time to Derek Brown's three cone, how was your experience at the combine? Here, the 40 yard dash being good and the three cone being bad. Correct. Obviously, this, the numbers are flipped, right? So, yeah, no, I'd say I was a solid 427, man. It was a good time. The, I don't know everybody talks about the new schedule, and that was all anybody was talking about the first couple of days. It was really very tiring. It was just extremely long days, <laughs> having to care about a lot of things. And then by the end, you just kind of collapsed Then pulled yourself out of bed at 630 in the morning to go back at 8 a.m. to get quotes. I mean, I swear, if I was this tired, I have no idea how the prospects do it. I've had to do meetings with teams among like all the coverage yeah. we had to do. Oh, man. But no, it was, it was a good time. Uh, class is fun, man. I really realized as I was driving away, like, been doing the draft pretty seriously. This will be my third year doing it really seriously, I would say. I've been into it for like four or five years. Yeah. This is probably the best class we've had that, I've, that uh, I've gotten to cover. This is a really freaking talented group. There's tight end. And then every other position has at least one dude who's like legitimately thrilling yeah. as a prospect, which is a ton of fun. So I, it's a really fun class. I'm excited about it. We got some good talent. And then the Eagles were a huge focus of the freaking combine, which was new. Uh, so that was fun as well. What could go wrong with such a deep class for the Philadelphia Eagles? We'll find out in a couple of months or maybe during this season. I'm going to write about that. I'm, I'm, I, I've committed myself and I got to write this down so I don't forget. I'm going to write about everybody needs to calm down about deep classes. <laughs> like historically down. deep classes because it's hyperbolic. Is that what you mean? I cannot tell you how many times like, oh, this is 2017 defensive end class was historic. Eagles only got Derek Barnett. 2017 running back class <laughs> so was historic. Stupid. Eagles only got Danell Pumphrey. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes things don't work, guys. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Right. The running back class was less talented and they ended up, you know, hitting on Miles Sanders. So sometimes you hit, sometimes you don't. It's, it's, it's like to the point where, and I told you this on Twitter, it's to the point where any class that is deemed historic for a certain position is actually a negative in the eyes of Eagles fans, which is a complete exactly. overreaction. Which is what I want to write about. Let's talk about maybe another overreaction as we have news coming out around the combine about Andre Dillard and Jason Peters. It's a weird situation. Of course, we're going to talk about a lot of combine stuff, winners and losers and all that stuff. And I have that covered on the BGN draft specials six through eight. I went through wide receivers, DBs. I talked with John Ledger and all that stuff. I do want to touch on this before we get to that because this is from Albert Breer. 
on Monday, Monday morning quarterback for Sports Illustrated. He says, quote, I'm not sure the Eagles have a set in stone decision made on Jason Peters yet. And I know there is split opinion in the building on whether to keep Peters for one more year or go with second year left tackle Andre Dillard and use the money saved to further bolster the line. We know the importance GM Howie Rowe has been put on the line of scrimmage, so it's not hard to see how he and the organization would view this decision as critical, unquote. And I would agree that it is, in fact, a critical decision because there are also rumors that Lance Zerline has put out there, Tim McManus has now put out there, that the Eagles are open to the idea or possibly shopping Andre Dillard as a trade target. I think this is uh, a little bit overblown. I'm still concerned by it. Uh, especially when it comes to Dillard and how the organization views him because they're going to have a better idea of where he's at than we do just based on, you know, the stuff that we hear about, maybe his mentality and stuff like that. So, Ben, uh, your thoughts on this situation? So there are like a lot of things, right? We'll go from most concerning to least concerning. Mm -hmm. The most concerning thing is not Jason Peters potentially playing again or whatever. The most concerning thing is that the Eagles would draft Andre Dillard, trade up in the first round to draft Andre Dillard, and then a year later want to trade him. Yeah. Right. Now, why would they do this? Evidently, their opinion has changed drastically on Dillard over the last 10 months. Because I think if you're in April and you're looking at drafting a guy and you ask yourself a hypothetical question, could we see ourselves wanting to trade him away in a year? <laughs> if you would answer yes to that question, that. you would not trade up to go get him in the first round. <laughs> right. So I believe firmly that the Eagles did not think they would be in a position where they were going to trade Andre Dillard in April 2019. And here they are in February 2020, allegedly in that position. How did they get here? Either one, wholesale failure across the board of the scouting department to fail to identify... Uh, you know, whatever it is developmentally that they think Dillard can't handle mentally, emotionally, you know, he got into the fight in training camp, he's soft, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Wholesale failure across the board. In which case, kudos to you for quickly pulling the plug, but how did we get here? How do we waste that pick in the first place? Right. Or number two, just the firing of Joe, du not firing, just the Joe Douglas getting hired away by the Jets. If Dillard was like a, a Douglas pick, which I don't necessarily think he was. I think from what I've read, Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, and Joe Douglas were both very high on Dillard. All three did not expect him to be there. All three had them like, I think it was a consensus top 10 player on their board that they didn't think would be there. Right. So the question is, just losing Douglas slash Barry, keeping all of your main guys, was, did, was there one voice in the room? That was so loud on Dillard that's no longer there anymore. In yeah. which case, how was that decision made consensus-wise? Because I agree with you. What I generally understand about the pick was it was made on a consensus among the main players, Roseman, Doug, who are still there. Which brings us back to point one, which is that how has their opinion on this dude fundamentally changed since then? So, most concerning thing, there's the potential of trading Dillard. Second most concerning thing, if the Eagles are uncertain on Dillard, that affecting whether or not they bring Jason Peters back isn't great process. Mm. Because I'm here to tell you, let's say they keep Dillard and they bring Jason Peters back. Dillard is going to have no more starts this year than he, or this time next year than he does this time this year. Yeah. Jason Peters probably going to play the whole time. Or Dillard gets random situational play like he did this past year, stepping in at right tackle, which he could not do successfully. Or. 
Peters goes down for a significant period of time, and now you have to start Dillard on the timeline you anticipated in the first place, but you gave him a massive vote of no confidence by bringing back the guy he was supposed to replace. Yeah. So, so I fail to see the path where the Eagles bring back Peters this year, and it like helps Dillard develop. The only way it does is if Peters plays for 16 games, Dillard never sees the field, and he really takes to coaching his second year, which if that's Stoutland's opinion on what's necessary, like I seen another year with this guy to really iron things out, then sure. Mm. But to me, like there's a lot of ways in which this goes wrong. Because whether or not it was correct, the implication when Dillard was drafted after Peters was on a contract year was Peters gonna finish this year and then Dillard's gonna play. Any change in the plan is going to negatively reflect on Dillard no matter how you sell it, right? right? It's, a, it's an adjustment that needs to be made because of Dillard because when he came out, we said, okay, he slipped. This is the perfect right. situation for him. He's got Jason Peters as a mentor. He's got Jeff Stoutland as a coach. He needs to add some functional strength. He never really ran block. He wasn't a run blocker at Washington State. These are all areas that like the Eagles can help him with. If it takes more than a year, which was the plan, then yeah, it reflects negatively on Dillard for sure. And it reflects negatively on the Eagles because they're ultimately the one that took him. And we talk about this a lot with quarterbacks, but it probably matters for every position. I would argue it does, period, matter for every position. Like once you draft the dude early, you're, you have a ticking clock for starting him at yeah. some point. And, and if you don't on the anticipated timeline, which in Dillard's case was he was going to redshirt 2019 to play 2020, it's immediately a referendum on him. Is that a death knoll? Absolutely not. But it does introduce a, a fair bit of doubt that you don't want to have to consume. The third and final least most concerning thing for me about this whole thing is the fact that the Eagles, Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, said they wanted Jason Peters back. Yeah. Do you, like, like yeah. okay, here's my thing with this. Because I was there at the presser when he said it, right? After this whole, you know, their 48 hours of, like, how could the Eagles possibly say this? I was reflecting on it, right? And I was like... I. When I'm just seeing quotes on Twitter, I probably also would get equally worked up. But in person, I don't know. It's it's presser talk. Mm. Like like it's not as if the range of possible responses that were available to Howie and Doug were no, we do not want Jason <laughs> Peters back in the building to yes, we're trying to get Jason Peters back in the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They either could say we are actively trying to get Jason Peters back. We would like getting Jace Peters back, but we haven't really like heard from his reps or talked about him about it or really made any moves there. Or we anticipate moving on from Jason Peters this year. We love everything Jason Peters has done for the organization. We really appreciate Jason Peters. We would have him back, but we drafted Andre Dillon. We don't want to spend the money on him. We're going to go spend the money somewhere else. We think Jason Peters is a great player. Wherever he goes, is going to be tremendous. Jason Peters is going to go play somewhere else, right? No, no, no GM, no coach is giving that answer that you just gave. Well, right. So, <laughs> that, but, about, but, like... I mean, like, the thing is, like, that third answer is available in the right. sense of, like, yeah. you know, we're going to let him test the market. Yeah. But you do it with, like, 85 qualifiers of how much you still love right, the guy, right, 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 right. Those were the three options. It was either strong yes, weak yes, or we're going to let him walk and we love him to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to a player of Jason Peters' caliber, letting him walk for what he is for the locker room and if he wants to continue playing, what he's meant to the city and the first Super Bowl and whatever, it's a hard answer to give, especially when you understand how much owner Jeffrey Lurie is tied with Jason Peters. Yeah. You don't want to stand up there when your owner's... Your owner could potentially come over your head, which obviously they're trying to argue with us that the owner did not come over the head for the Mike Groh firing, for the Carson Walsh firing. But you and I and, and listeners, we all know Lurie came over to Doug's head. You don't want to get in a situation again where you're like, we're going to let him walk. And then Lurie's like, I like Jason Peters. I want him back. Right. And all of a sudden now it's the second time in a row. You're going to get hammered. Yeah. So the weakest option they had was exactly what they said. And yeah, of course, you know, when they were asked, like, they asked Doug, like, hey, do you want Jason Peters back? And Doug was like, heck yeah. 
Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, he said, heck, yeah. This is just a person responding to a question. Right. And then he, like, goes on to say, like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, but who wouldn't want Jason Peters back, right? This is the most banal, benign coach speak that's ever existed. And there's no reason to assume this at all moves the needle on Peters. Now, this, in conjunction with the Eagles are trying to trade Dillard, yeah. is a little bit too much smoke for you to say there's no fire. But it is a bit of a... Of a you know, like, people, I'm sure, went digging and hunting for Dillard info after they felt there was a strong commitment to Peters on the podium. So I'm not really sure if, if it's kind of the, the snowball rolling down the mountain here a little bit. Yeah. Regardless, when it calm down. I don't, the, Howie and Doug answered the question exactly as you would predict they would answer the question if you took 10 seconds to think about it. And then since then, it's kind of just been like, mm. you know, a runaway flight train here. Yeah, I've always been of the attitude, like, these are just words. And like you said, I thought it was a weak response. And Doug even said there's a lot that goes into it, which there is. And you can ask, well, how can the Eagles bring back Jason Peters? Well, if Dillard ain't getting it done, buddy, that's how you bring back Jay. You, you forget your pride. Protect your quarterback. You know, you can't you can't get stuck saying, well, we, we can't. It, it'll be a bad PR move if we bring, you know, Jason Peters back. and We want to get younger and whatnot. So we're going to go kill our freaking quarterback. That's that's not the move. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a lot of it overblown. There are some concerning parts to it. I'm not completely dismissing it. Uh, ben, any last words on that before we move on to the combine stuff? At some point, you got to play Dillard. Yeah. <laughs> I like. I agree with you fundamentally. Like, you don't get your quarterback killed for the sake of not looking wrong. Yes. At some point, you have to play Dillard. Oh, I agree. If and I, Like, intentionally play. Because if you don't, he's going to be coming in off the bench behind Peters. So he's going to get playing time anyway. But he's not going to be prepping like he's the starter. And secondly... You're going to be able to continue justifying playing Peters for as long as he wants to play. Eventually, you have to choose not to play him anymore. Right. Like, yeah. I, I'm like, unless you convince Peters to retire, yeah. which like, that's what we're, that's, that's, that's kind of what you're hoping for here. If you're an Eagles fan is the Eagles and Peters kind of say like, Hey, maybe it's just time you retire. And I think you would like retirement and, 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 and you should retire now. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to play Peters or you're going to have to play Dillard anyway, because Peters is going to miss some time. And you know, you hope in that scenario, if you bring back Peters and Peters is the starter and then he goes down, the hope is that Dillard comes on and takes that job and they can't take him off the field. That would be my hope anyway. So I agree. I mean, they're going to have to play him anyway. All right, let's get in to some combine talk. I had given my thoughts on the wide receivers, on the defensive backs. Those are the BGN draft specials, episodes six through eight. So check that out. But Ben, any major takeaways? Did any guys move up, fall down your board? Let's talk about wide receivers First, there was the weird LaVisca Chenault injury uh, that, that caused his slow 40 times. So I'm not necessarily counting that. However, it is bad that it's it's another flag put up in the injury column for Chenault. Justin Jefferson runs great. Henry Ruggs runs exactly what you know we thought he was going to run. So I don't think there was any change there. What are your thoughts on maybe some risers and fallers from the wide receiver group? The fact that LaVisca had to pull up with injury. Best thing to happen to Eagles fans. <laughs> if he's there 21... Still in? There's exactly one receiver I would take for the Eagles over LaVisca Chenault at 21, and that's CeeDee Lamb. He's not going to be there anyway, so it don't matter. Yeah. In terms of specifically at 21, Ruggs ain't going to be there. Lamb ain't going to be there. Mm. Judy didn't have a great day. Still don't think he's going to be there. It's just, there's this weird thing with the Eagles fans. It's like, well, now that Ruggs has run the 4-2-7, I don't think he's going to be there. He was never going to be there. Brother. <laughs> we knew I'm this. like, TDN, they got, we got a simulator. Sometimes Ruggs is there at 21 because... Sometimes the computer passes on him. 
I would say it is not happening. Yeah. I would say it is not likely. And so I'm sorry if that has, has you know, kind of skewed your perception on possible outcomes. Don't think it's going to be Ruggs. Don't think it's Lamb. Don't think Judy will be available. If Judy's available, he does make a lot of sense. The My main concern is that he primarily works from the slot at Alabama, mm-hmm. and the Eagles slot receivers are their tight ends. So he would need to become more comfortable working on the outside. If this is beginning to sound like Nelson Aguilar to you, it's okay. Judy's a lot better player than Nelson Aguilar. Same thing with Justin Jefferson, would you say? Yeah, which, that was that was the player I was going to get to, right? So I think Visca's there, and I would love that pick. Two other names that get thrown around now after their combine. One is Justin Jefferson, who Mike brought up at LSU. I don't think Jefferson's film is good enough that he should be going in the first round. I also don't think that being a little bit faster than we thought he was going to be right. significantly moves the needle on a player like Jefferson. Jefferson played in the LSU uh, vertical spread air raid offense. They had three NFL caliber receivers. Jamar Chase was the best of them. He's eligible next year, and he played their X role. He played on the outside up on the line of scrimmage. Accordingly, Jefferson, who was a higher volume target, operated out of a slot. In a vertical spread offense, your slot receiver has a lot of stuff available to him because outside receivers, Chase and Terrence Marshall, are very frequently working nine routes up, up the sideline. And when, when the uh, when the Tigers went three-by-one isolated tight end out week, they would take Marshall and put him on the outside so they could have Jamar Chase run routes because Chase is a really good player. Jefferson primarily operated under the slot for them and was a short to intermediate separator. Jefferson was at his best on quick-breaking routes against off coverage. When he encountered press coverage, which was infrequent, he showed good release moves, but he's not a particularly physical or strong dude with active hands. He yeah. preferred to kind of keep things at arm's length, which is an indicator that he's going to be able to stay in the slot. More successfully, he's going to be able to stay, uh, move outside in the league and play against press. Really, really good and impressive catch radius, short to intermediate. I really yeah. like how quick and natural his hands are. I think he, he IDs balls really instinctively. So those those fast heaters, Carson throws over the intermediate level, yes. Jefferson would be fine with handling, suckering those in. He'd be great there. Yeah, reaction time, body control, right. all that stuff. I agree. Yeah. Very strong for him. With that said, Jefferson's scope of, of deep targets was limited in his final season, and his success there was also not as as notable as success on short to intermediate breaking stuff. People like to point to the Texas game. Texas game was a good game. Second game of the season. Next 11 games of the season. Next two playoff games. LSU's not throwing him downfield targets that much. Yeah. It's not where, where he wins the most successfully. He's not a good above-the-rim receiver. He ran that 4-4-3, but his play speed really doesn't seem like a low 4-4 player. He likes to play with rhythm and pace and change his speeds, yeah. you know, shifting through gears like a sports car, not necessarily just 0-60, and I'm going to play it at a, at a large speed. He's a good player. Yeah. I don't think he has round one film, and I don't think he's a field stretcher. He's never shown that on film, which is what Eagles fans seem to really want. Uh I think Jefferson would be a fine fit. I would think they would target him more at 53 than they would at 21 for his skill set. I don't think he's he's the uh, you know three-level home run threat, opens up the whole offense sort of receiver that you need. I do believe Denzel Mims is closer to that. And that's the other receiver I've seen in conversation at 21 overall. He often goes at actually at 30 overall in first-round mock drafts to the Packers. Mims out of Baylor had himself an unbelievable week of testing. We also already knew Mims was a really good athlete. Like Jefferson was a little bit like, is he or isn't he? And he came out really nice. Mims already knew was a good athlete. He tested better than I think a lot of people expected, but he was clearly already a good athlete on film. He's got a better intermediate to downfield profile. He's really good on a back shoulder adjustment, highly acrobatic catches, full extension, really good body control on the sideline, great tracking ability, plays with a ton of leverage down the field. I really like Denzel Mims. To me, he's like Kenny Galladay if yeah. Kenny Galladay had bunnies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 21's probably a bit too high on him. That really only makes sense if all the Lamb, Ruggs, LaVisca, Judy, Rager all off the board i think is when we start having the conversation about mims now mims is is 
Alshon Jeffrey replacement. He's your ex receiver. You can play him on the outside. So the scheme fits a little bit better. I don't think Mims makes it to 53, to be honest. I don't think Jefferson does either. But 21 to me is a little rich for both of them. So if you want the Eagles to trade back right. and attack a receiver maybe in the 30s, Mims and Jefferson are your targets. At 21, I would call that a bit of a reach at this stage. Yeah, and Dane Brugler said about Mims, however high you are on Mims, it's probably too low based on what he's hearing from from the league. Right. And I would definitely uh, agree with that from what I've heard as well. What, what about the weird col- combine from Jalen Rieger, who, or excuse me, Jalen Rager, who comes in 11 pounds heavier, was supposed to contend with Henry Ruggs for the fastest 40 time and does not, runs a 4-4-7, looks yoked up. Looks extremely yoked up in the, right. in the, you know, and the, on the jumps, he was fantastic, looked nice and explosive. His day started off really well and then hits a 4-4-7. But how, what did you take away from that? Because it was weird for me. Henry, uh, uh, Jalen Rager ran an above average 40 yard dash, 61st percentile, I believe, mm-hmm. 447, at an above average weight. He was 206. Mm-hmm. He was faster than the average receiver while also being heavier than the average receiver. From a speed score perspective, which speed score uh, it takes a, a prospect's uh, weight, puts it over his speed. And so the heavier you are and the faster you're running, i.e., a lower time, lower duration for the run, the better your speed score is. Rigo's are really a highly competitive speed score. Uh, one of the best in the class. Did he really play at 206? I don't think so. I think he played at 195. Yeah, I agree. Was he running in the 4.3s at 195? Maybe. Maybe. Why come in at 206? I don't know. Maybe the feedback his agent, his camp got from teams that they were more concerned with his density than they were with his speed. And they, they would say, listen, as long as he shows he can put on the mask, we know he can run a 4-3. Maybe Rager comes into his pro day in four weeks at 198 and runs a 4-3-9 on the friendly track. Who knows, right? <laughs> Nothing that Rager did at the combine gives me a pause on his play speed. Hmm. Nothing he did at the combine gives me any pause on his explosiveness, right? Because like the jumps were oh, 97th, yeah. 98th percentile, right? He was above average in every measure except for height and arm length until he got to the agility drills. And then, much like DK Metcalf last year, a guy who's just super rocked up, super dense, incredibly tightly wound, just a ton of muscle on his frame, was really bad in terms of flexibility and agility. (laughs) And it's just like, why are you running this drill? Like, if Rager did not run those drills, we would all be like, Rager had a great combine. Yep. Didn't run four threes, but he had a great combine. Mm -hmm. But instead he did, and now it's like, is he going to suck? No, he's not. If you have concerns about a 206-pound guy who can jump 42 inches, run a 4.47's ability to get vertical, you know, like, I, it's he's a really good player. And he's really going to contest it situations because of the vertical ability, because he's got a big hand size, and he, I think mean, he secures the ball nicely away from his frame. Like, he is really, really good in his role. Is he going to make as many dudes miss in space as freaking KJ Hamler? Probably not. Right. Hamler's always been a quicker player for me since day one. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, and, and Hamler didn't test. But Hammer's already been, already always been the fluid, more looser, more loose player uh, than uh, than Rager is. Rager for his role and for what he did on film, his testing uh, gives me absolutely zero qualms. I still like him at twenty one. Uh, I think there's options I would like better, um, but Rager at twenty one to me is a fine pick. I think it's a bit of a reach for what I've seen, but I think we're we're different on Rager and we're on where we put them. You mentioned Hamlin. I just want to put it out there. His play speed on film is just ridiculous, man. The dude has such crazy juice. It is wild. He gets on top of dudes. So I can't wait to see what, what he runs at the pro day and all that stuff. Obviously, he didn't compete in the combine. When we come back here on the Kiss and Solak show, we'll uh, we'll flip sides. We'll talk about some defensive players at the combine. Stocks rising, stocks falling. That's coming up next here on the Kiss and Solak show. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. 
great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 175, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, let's talk about these defensive backs. I've officially had six people now at me at Ross Tucker's announcement that he's going to be the color analyst for preseason games. I literally could not be more proud of our followership. It's amazing. Ross has to be so confused because I like responded and Ross follows me. I was like, hey, Ross, like, congrats. That's really good. And he was like, cool. And then somebody else immediately responded. I was like, Ben, this is really big of you. And I think Ross is just like, why? <laughs> that anyway, it's incredible. Poor Ross trying to figure it out. Let's talk about these defensive backs. At the combine, I had a I had a couple of losers because Damon Arnett, who is a guy that a lot of people love from Ohio State, came in with short arms, thirty inches, four five four forty yard dash isn't going to do him any favors. So he was I put him in the in the losers for my combine article. Also, Cameron Dansler at one eighty eight, less than thirty one inch to arms. Tell people about Cameron Dansler. Yeah, I don't like Dansler. I don't, I don't I don't think he can add weight to that frame. And he ran a four six four. Like that's the cutoff. Like unless you're Josh Norman and you have maybe two good years in you, there's no example of a quarterback cornerback that has run that slow that is good in the NFL. And Dansler did it at a really light weight and has trouble keeping on mass. So that's a problem. So Dansler and Arnett were two of my losers. Uh Ben, what about you? Who do you think uh stuck falling? Uh, especially specifically away from the Eagles at 21. Imagine saying Damon Arnett is a loser. I just did. Uninspired, <laughs> fearful. I love Damon Arnett's film. I love it too. I think it's great film. I have no concerns with the 4-5-6. Okay. I, watching his film, I was like, he's probably going to run about 40 and I'm going to have to deal with it. Right. Um, and 4-5-6 isn't that bad. Um, but yeah, and, and it wasn't that great. And the arms? Oh, well, you know. Yeah, that's bad. I thought that was going to be better. <laughs> I, know. I was like, I'll I'll start with saying something, and then it'll sound like I have something to say. But it turns out I didn't. <laughs> for a guy for that wins at the line, yeah, that's that's a red flag. So uh, what about, let, let's talk about targets maybe at 21. I think the legitimate targets, obviously, Jeffrey Okuda is not going to be there. Uh, he had a fantastic combine, by the way. Okuda. Okuda. Do you just not listen to anything ever? AJ Ebenezer. For my <laughs> Ebenezer, <laughs> how, I cannot believe you didn't know how to pronounce Jeffrey Okuda's last name. I, I, Okuda. I vacillate between Okuda and Okuda, and I never know which one is right. It's a, like I, I, maybe it's just because like I'm so indoctrinated in it, like I'm so embedded in it. But like, how have you never heard Okuda's name? <laughs> I've heard of it. Watch more football. All right, guys. <laughs> All right, so Jeffrey, that guy, Jeffrey O, is not going to be there at 21. But Christian Fulton, who mm-hmm. I thought had a good combine. Jeff Gladney, who I thought had a good combine outside of the three cone, which was fourth percentile. Nobody worry about that because I love him. Nobody say anything bad about Jeffrey Gladney. 
is there anybody else sitting there at 21 based on their combine? Maybe Trayvon Diggs, who's got to do all of his work at the pro day. He's been mocked there, but I don't necessarily know. Uh, I actually think he's going to test well. I think this big concerns are kind of weird with him. I think he can turn and run. You know what a bad combine is? Jeff Gladney. God dang. No, he didn't. He had a good combine. Yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just don't think his film is that good. I think people get people are like, "Wow, look at how fast his feet are going." I'm like, "Yeah, they shouldn't be moving right now." But wow, look how fast feet. He's sticky though, man. He's sticky. He's super feisty. Like it's he's just he's kind of he's he's too jumpy. He's too aggressive. He's too all over the place. Like mm. everybody's like, "Oh, his footwork's great." It's really not. Like there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Exactly. He's got to chill. Like he reacts a little <laughs> bit overly to a lot of release moves, then puts himself in a recovery position he doesn't need to be in. Yeah. Now, in terms of corner options at 21 christian fulton is the only one that interests me and fulton came in with smaller arms than you'd like to see he had 30 and 5 8 inch arms it's not prohibitively bad but it's not great under six foot under 200 by a bit yeah. he's 5 11 and 5 8 he's 197 he's fine yeah, yeah, yeah but he ran a 446 three cone under seven short shuttle 436 which short shuttle is actually a little bit average which is annoying but the three cone at 694 is delightful mm. jumps were good he had a, a, a quality day of testing he remains to be a guy where it's like I'm waiting for the inevitable, you know, freaking like Albert Breer, some some like national guy who like just comes around to the draft this time of year, has a bunch of sources to be like, I've talked with seven dudes yeah. and none of them like Christian Fulton. Right. Because like I've, he very much profiles to me as somebody that we like on the Internet who just isn't valued as much by teams. To me, Fulton at 21 makes a ton of sense, especially if Jim wants to continue playing his corners off. Uh, Fulton... You have to, he's not great in, in the half turn, which like gives me some bad Ronald Darby vibes. <laughs> but in terms of at the line of scrimmage or reading into short area breaks, he's really, really good. Yeah. I would want to get him up at the line, but to me, I would just always want to get my corners up on the line regardless. Uh, and that's not necessarily something that, that Jim likes to get into. But to me, Fulton, I don't know if I'd be in on Damon Arnett at 21. He'd probably be a guy I'd rather be a little bit later in the first four. But I wouldn't hate it by any stretch of the imagination. He, Fulton, and Akuda are my three top three corners in this class. Comfy. Mm. And Arnett has the character concerns too. So I think it was a problem. I think my biggest problem for Arnett was he didn't check the boxes he needed to check with the arms and the forty necessarily. And then he also had the character concern coming into the combine. So the interviews were going to be extremely important for him anyway. So if he falls in the draft, I think we kind of understand how that went in terms of Fulton. I had an interesting question for you that you didn't answer on Twitter. So I'm going to ask you now. So you have to answer with mm -hmm. Fulton. There's this idea that he might not be the greatest at the catch point. You mentioned Darby because like that's like the prototypical, you know, wave that we see right. those quarterbacks. Now, you know, they can Darby's athletic, but he sucks at the catch point, just like point blank period with Fulton. I thought a lot of his catch point stuff was good. He also had to play early on in the season. Colin Johnson from Texas, who was over six, five, he also had to play T. Higgins, who's over 6'5", and he gave up some big catches to him. Those are large human beings. Do you think the idea that Fulton and the PFF analytics say the opposite? They say he's very good in the air at the catch point and whatnot, and I thought some of his film was too, but do you think we're placing uh, too much blame on Fulton for those plays given up against those super tall wide receivers, and maybe that's why that perception is out there perhaps unfairly? So let's define play at the catch point. Yeah. Because what I hear you saying is, downfield contested catch let's right? talk about yeah we'll keep it there yeah back to the ball because i'm in the trail position playing through the receiver's hands into the catch point as the ball arrives right sure on average there is maybe one corner in a class who's good at it this year it's jeffrey akuda mm. damon arnett also pretty, pretty at skilled it. at it yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah 
So on average, one, maybe two dudes who are who have that skill consistently. Those guys go to the top of the draft, right? <laughs> if you're going to tell me I don't, I don't want this corner in round one because I don't like his ability to play with the back to the ball, I'm here to tell you you're not going to like most corners in round one. <laughs> Playing with your back to the ball is incredibly difficult, especially when you're up against guys of that size, right? In the example of um, uh, uh, Colin Johnson, Texas, it's the only way they target Colin Johnson, yeah. right? It's what they do with Colin Johnson. Right. They throw him jump balls because corners are at a natural disadvantage against Colin Johnson with their back to the ball in those back shoulder fade situations, right? So we start there. All other catch point stuff, zone drop, mm. click and close, mm. short area, mm-hmm. man coverage in the short area, man cover in the intermediate area, man cover to the sideline. Fault's good in those areas, man. I can pull a couple clips of of each different context and explain to you why I think Fulton's really skilled here. Yeah. I can also pull you a couple clips across the course of seasons for Fulton. I actually have one from 2018 Georgia on my timeline from summer work of Fulton having a tremendous adjustment to a back shoulder ball with his back to the ball in the trail downfield. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, it's not over his head. It's a back shoulder throw, so he doesn't have to elevate for it. But with his trail arm, he breaks up a pass that was coming behind his back on his back shoulder. The the pass that's, quote, unquote, if thrown correctly, is impossible to defend the back shoulder fade, right? And Fulton breaks up the catch point. Perfect timing, no DPI. He doesn't put a hand on the ball, puts a hand on the receiver right in time. He can't catch it. It was Miko Hardman. Hmm. It, was, it was the receiver. So I can find you the plays. I agree. Fulton, not with any degree of consistency was he like a jeffrey akuda caliber down the field back to the ball incredible instincts incredible vision defender most everybody not named jeffrey akuda also wasn't so like again like if you don't like a receiver or a corner for that reason you're not gonna like any corners that's that's a, that's a, a it's like you know oh man i didn't like this edge because he didn't win any pass rushes when he was double teamed brother if you're winning a pass rush when you're double teamed you're aaron donald right 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 right, right. right? Yeah. you're not supposed to be able to do it yeah. sometimes the other team makes good plays it's my number one rule right and so to me i just like i don't knock fulton for it the same way i don't knock hopefully a bunch of other corners for it and i'm a lot lower on those guys than i am on fulton for other reasons that i think are more reasonably within what can be expected out of their gameplay so fulton at 21 is fine to me i thought fulton had a fine combine the the one dude who I need to watch now at corner after the combine, he's actually a Temple kid. He's his name is his name is Harrison Hand, which Hand is a good last name it for is. a corner. Yeah. I feel like, yep. Yeah. It's like I I can hear Kenny Albert making a hand got hands joke already in, in my in my head. Daryl Johnson being upset with him. <laughs> Harrison Hand, I was a Baylor transfer. No, yes, because t- okay, Matt Rule was at Temple and then he went to Baylor, right. and Harrison Hand was at Baylor and went to Temple. I think that's it. It's very confusing. Harrison Hands at Temple used to be a Baylor, 5'11", buck 97, 31 and 3 fourth inch arms, ran a 4'5'2 in the 40, which if you're listening, that's pretty much Christian Fulton's measurements to a T. But then he outjumped Fulton, 41 inches in the vert, 11'1 in the broad, ran a 4'2'7'3 uh, short shuttle, a 7'1'5'3 cone, both of which are quality numbers, explosive, quick, quality size. And then apparently he's got, if you like ball production, this hand kid apparently has got ball production out the wazoo at his last year or two at Temple. Um, so if there's anybody who's listening to the pod as a Temple fan, at Benjamin Solak, tell me about Harrison Hand. But he's for sure a watchless guy because he's got really consistent numbers across the board. Another guy that you haven't mentioned at 21 that I want to touch on briefly before we get to a couple of, of safeties. You haven't mentioned C.J. Henderson. 
And this is a guy that Jeremiah said may go top 10 or maybe go, may we will go. We'll go top 15. I'm sorry. We'll go top 15. Daniel Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said CJ Henderson will go top 15. Top 15. Yeah. Where and when and why? During the combine. He just, he just said it while he was was about to run his 40. I thought it was very interesting because, um, I got serious questions about the young man's uh, competitive toughness. I think all the athleticism is is there. Obviously, it was on display at the combine around four three nine. All that stuff was really fluid in the on field drills. I have serious serious questions about him. What about you? And, and listen, I get it. I honestly do. You know what I mean? Like I like reacted there because I'm surprised that that's they feel comfortable enough guaranteeing that he is about as good as a man cover defender as you find in this class. I just think he's a little sloppy. He's a little lazy. Don't like to tackle. I agree. And. That's like usually, and it's, and, it's, and it's not just the tackling where he's lazy and sloppy. It's his technique at the beginning of the right. rep, and that's why he has to re- recover on some of these. The the rep against Jamar Chase against LSU, he's lazy as heck at the beginning of the rep, and then he has to recover and and make up make up ground, and then you know gets the gets the pass breakup. But like it doesn't happen unless he's sloppy and lazy in the beginning of the rep, which is all over his film. Right. So to me, and like it's funny because usually us media fellas, right, us us guys are like. We don't care. He's really good at man coverage. That's what's matter. That's the end. Then NFL coaches are like, he's got to finish the play. <laughs> so we're guaranteeing a top 15 pick. Apparently, coaches feel strongly enough about his man coverability or have heard enough from out of, out of the program with, with, with Henderson. I'm just like, I'll put it to you this way. You show I, I show you Henderson's 20 best plays. You'd be like, yeah, fifth, top 15 lock. It's just the, the ancillary stuff does not indicate to me that, that, the NFL would be so strong on him for DJ to say that. I'll put it to you this way. If Henderson's there at 21, I think they'll like him. Jim doesn't care about, like, he, like, quote, unquote, likes competitive corners, but he's fielded two corners who can't tackle for the past two and a half years, <laughs> right? So, like, to me, like, I'll believe when I see it. Yeah. And he's a Florida kid, so how he's going to love him. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, I don't have him there, but I, if, if Henderson's there at 21, they'll be interested. I don't think they're going to go that direction in general, and I would hope they would go Fulton over Henderson, God willing. But if Henderson's going to go top 15, then I guess it doesn't matter, does it? Exactly. All right, let's get to a couple safeties before we get out of here. And I think one is a guy that you really like and I really like. And another is a guy who's kind of polarizing, but uh, actually had a pretty decent combine. Tell me about Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin? <laughs> yeah, you already knew. You already knew I was going with it. Southern Illinois, 446, 40-yard dash, 11-6 broad jump, 41-inch vertical. This is a guy I would hope people would sleep on. It is He is not sleeper caliber anymore. He is, hello, Jeremy Chin, after the combine healthy <laughs> he's a healthy young man yeah he's good he's even eating his greens <laughs> he's been taking his vitamins yeah he did that he, by the <laughs> way he did that at 219 pounds big young man <laughs> oh man i talked to Jeremy chin at the senior bowl he's got that sort of like just please get me out of this room and put me on the football field i just want to hit somebody vibe to him a little bit that. where he's just like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me but it's okay because he needs to get to go practice in two hours which, you know, not conducive to grabbing quotes, but it is a fun vibe for safety. Yeah. Jeremy Chin. Right. It's like, it's tricky because him and Kyle Duggar, the, the Lenoir Ryan kid, uh, both of whom test out of their minds, both of whom are these like 220 pound plus box safeties. If you watch one half of their film, like a half of one game, you've watched all their film because mm-hmm. it's all exactly the same. Yeah. It's just like, this is not like, like the Nasir Adderley Delaware film. You were like, this is a really good athlete. Chin and, and Kyle Duggar are like, this is an adult playing with children. <laughs> like it's it, the the difference because it, it's, it's I think it, it's <laughs> so, like, I think it's like a worse caliber of competition number one, 
versus the Delaware Blue Hens and Nasir Adderley. Yeah. And then number two, Chin and Duggar are both bigger dudes and better athletes at their size. Right, I agree. So, I, like, you watch Chin fly around the field, and you're like, this is, like, he's Cam Chancellor, right? Mikhail Duggar is, like, Keanu Neal. You know what I mean? It's just, like, massive middle-of-the-field guys who apparently can get everywhere because they're stupid fast for their size and just want to take kids' heads off, right? Yeah. And, like, they're playing against the freaking Youngstown State Penguins. Right. And whatever Lenoir Ryan played against, which I don't remember who they played, right? So a bunch of regional managers for like Bed Bath and Beyond, yeah, exactly. Right. So now with Chin and Duggar, you're going off of the question of what I saw at the Senior Bowl with their athletic profile. How high am I willing to value these guys when pretty much the only thing their tape is telling me what is what I already knew, which is that they are redonkulous okay. athletes. Right, right, right. And for me. Which I should really go back and watch all the Senior Bowl refs specifically for these two and really make sure I feel comfortable in this take. On live viewings, I didn't see Kyle Duggar do anything that Jeremy Chin couldn't do. I agree. And so if you're telling me Duggar's a sleeper round one dude, if you're telling me Duggar's a top 50 dude, and I can get Jeremy Chin at 75, Mm. like, even if I think Duggar's better, the degree of certainty that I can stamp on an evaluation of a player who played at this low of a level with this much of an athletic advantage is very small. So if I'm going to take a gamble on either one, and one of them costs me 50 and the other costs me 75, I want 75, don't care which name it is. Yeah, bad news on that I want the second one, right. I, I agree on the value and where Douglas right. going to be hyped more than Chin. During the broadcast, Jeremiah mentioned that Chin would be gone before the third round. <laughs> he said he was talking with an NFL team. Yeah, the which, hype on which, this kid is, is – I mean, the NFL is, was – his right. stock isn't rising. The NFL knew, which is a shame. Right. I mean, like, for me, I like, again, like, I, you know, for the for the gap between the senior bowl and the combine, I was just like, why aren't we right. talking about Chin and Duggar in the same breath? Same. And now that you have actual numbers on them, it's like, all right, well, here we go. Yeah. Both Chin and Duggar make a huge amount of sense for Philadelphia. If Philadelphia is going to have the requisite humility to admit either A, they're not resigning Malcolm Jenkins, that he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. B, Jank is beginning to fall off. They shouldn't sign him to a big deal. They should extend him for a year, whatever, right? Because the thing with like Jenkins really trying to push for this new contract is Jenkins knows his his hourglass is running out in terms of his athletic ability, right? So when they go to the negotiating table with him, I think the thing that he's going to be pushing for and the thing he's going to be asking for is guaranteed money, years, and right, okay, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I think he's going to want and have you know seasons worth of longevity, right? And so it's tricky because. The only way the Eagles end up going after a Chin or a Duggar is if I think they know that they've only got this season left of Jank. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have no seasons left of Jenkins if they let him walk. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, these two dudes, and I would also throw in Xavier McKinney, who couldn't finish testing because he had an injury. Yeah, leg cramps, yeah. Ideal in terms of the... With McKinney, it's it's the it's the uh, the mental game, and it's yes. where he was deployed in, in the Bama defense, and it's, it's the recognition, and it's the instincts. He doesn't have the size. Chin and Duggar to be that quasi linebacker on on the line of scrimmage overhang dude. I mean, it's like these guys are bigger and better athletes than Jank ever was. Mm. So there's the question of how do you trust them mentally to kind of step into that role? Because if, if you don't resign Jenkins and you need him to be there year one, but you know me, man, I've wanted third safety forever me and too. I'm enamored with Chin and Duggar. Yeah. So like sure, but they the, the only way the Eagles go after them is if they really have a, a path to getting them on the field, and I don't think they will. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here. And you mentioned McKinney, who's like a, a smaller dude than them, but Alabama played him because they had some injuries. They played him at the nickel linebacker spot because they needed somebody to quarterback the defense. And McKinney is that smart, that smart, stable dude that you can rely on to call a complicated defense as he did at, at Alabama. So that's a really good point. That's like 
That's the Malcolm Jenkins type right there. I mean, to a T. That's what Jenkins does on this defense. Uh, last one I want to talk about quickly. Are you in or out on, because opinions are everywhere on this guy, Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota runs a 4-4-6, which I think is a good box for him to check because I wasn't sure he was that fast. NFL Bloodlines, instinctual player, what do you think his value is right now? I didn't like him on, I liked his film. I should rephrase that. I liked his film. I did not think his film illustrated the athletic ability that led to being a long-term NFL starter. And then I see these numbers, and I go, well, something's lying to me. It's these or it's my eyes. Right. So Winfield, like, I got to go back and watch him. because so I have him low, low. Same. Relative to the rest of the safety class. And, yep. like, I love me an instinctive player. I love me a hard-nosed player. But I love those guys at later picks than Winfield is alleged to go, right? So I'm in a tough place with him right now. I, 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 I. I'm hoping to get the Winfield evaluation right by April. Right now, March 2nd, March, March 3rd, I don't have it right. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I either missed something or I really got to plant my flag in that I don't believe these numbers accurately portrays on-field athleticism, which would be weird because I think he's a smart player. I think he sees it quick. So, like, why isn't he playing quick? I don't know. Either way, yeah, I'm worried about Winfield. I don't I, I, I don't have a good spot on where I am on him right now. So the next thing I have to do is watch some more linebackers. So we should we should talk about that soon, including uh Willie Gay Jr., who tested uh ridiculously uh incredible. I just yeah, I, watching the linebackers makes me sad because Why? I watch one and I'm like, This player is good. The Eagles <laughs> won't draft him because <laughs> yeah. he's he's good and he's gonna go too high. Yeah. And then I watch another dude and like he's bad, the Eagles might draft him. Right, because he'll be there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's depressing. So we'll talk linebackers. We'll talk some other uh, overall draft takeaways, maybe later this week, early next week, something like that. But for now, Ben, that's going to wrap up uh, episode 175. Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? Hello. I said goodbye. Thanks, Not as always. Oh, I just should say hi. Okay. Thanks, as always, for listening to Kiss and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. Appreciate being back in the chair. Very glad you joined me. Uh, this was episode 175, which was mm-hmm. going over some of our post-combine takes as well as reacting to the Jason Peters news. As it is March 3rd, we are about two weeks away from the onset of the NFL year. And of course, that means only 10, 11 days away from the legal tampering, quote unquote, period mm-hmm. opening up. And we can actually hear who some of these free agents Eagles are going after. There's been Byron Jones reports abound. There's been Amari Cooper reports abound. No Joe Schobert reports. Very confusing why those wouldn't exist, but I'm certain we'll hear them between now and then. Eagles free agency upcoming. We will have all of March to deal with you on that, as well as March and April to get you prepared for the draft. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. If you leave a four-star rating, it won't work. If you leave a three-star rating, your phone will shut down. If you leave a two-star rating, your phone will transform, i.e. the Transformers movies, and uh, it would be Decepticon. It will attack you. And if you leave a one-star rating, we, will we, just, won't be fr- we just won't be friends. No, we'll so, find you. We will find you. Five-star ratings, please, and everybody will be safe and happy. <laughs> Uh, he's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. We will chat with you later this week. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. 
Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month, every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.